Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 293 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Tom Cheesewright about technology and futurism for businesses. Today's podcast is brought to you by Smith.ai, Case Text, Text Expander, and Back Office Betty's. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. We will tell you more about them later on. Stephanie, we get a lot of questions about our coaching, especially because we've been airing some coaching calls and strategy and mastermind sessions recently. But we have two different programs, and I think it's kind of helpful to think about why one might be more appropriate for certain people and where they're at in their journey versus another. So those two programs are Accelerator and Lab. Can you talk a little bit about how those evolved and how they're different? Yeah, and so maybe the easiest place to start is Lab. Lab is designed content-wise to cover all aspects of your business. So in Lab, we're thinking about your personal vision, your goals, and your strategy for your business, marketing, how we're attracting the right clients, and then we move right into delivery of excellent client services and how you can use systems and processes and technology to drive efficient and effective and consistent client services teams and staffing and financial strategy and really all aspects of your business, right? Yeah. And I think that's why it takes some people a long time. They actually choose to stay in that container for a long period of time because there is no set like, oh, if you do this for three months, like you'll have everything unlocked in your firm. And I think one of the biggest benefits of Lab 2 is that collaboration with other people who are in the program, whether they're in your practice area in a different state or whether they're in your local area or you're just at similar points in your business, being able to network and brainstorm and things like that with people who are at a similar position is really helpful. Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the themes that we're always promoting is this idea of relentless incrementalism, that even if you unlock your marketing at one point, like there's going to be a time where you have to revisit it and continue to improve it. And same thing with your client service delivery and really all aspects of your firm. My business partner once told me, when are we going to be done? Like, when are we going to have this all figured out? And I was like, never. <laughs> like, it's, yep, never. <laughs> sorry. It's kind of always, it's always evolving and the world's changing and our businesses have to adapt. And so we have to have structure within our business for sure. We can't just live in chaos. But at the same time, we have to build a business structure that allows for that adaptation and innovation and constant improvement. Um, and so that's what I tell people in a nutshell is where we're really focused in lab. It's for people who are thinking about kind of all aspects of their business. That said, we recognize that some people aren't ready for that, right? Like they're getting started out or maybe they don't have the right clients coming in. And so if you really think about it, cash for a business is sort of your blood, right? Like you have to have cash coming in. And if you don't have enough cash coming in, if you don't have enough clients coming through your door, then you can build all the amazing systems you want, but 
you know, they're not going to help you serve and your business is going to struggle. And so what we said is how can we create a program that helps those folks who maybe aren't ready for lab or are focused in a different space than what labs focused on. And so that's how Accelerator was born. And so in Accelerator, we're really helping you build that healthy foundation for your business, really getting clear on your personal vision, your business vision, your goals, and then that strategic marketing plan. What are we doing to make sure we're getting the right people calling us and then through the funnel and hiring us? And so that's kind of really the focus of Accelerator is just that. What do you need to do to accelerate your business? And some folks come into that program and it's designed to take about three months and it's significantly less cost than labs. So if you're thinking, oh, that lab sounds good, but I can't afford it. Like Accelerator is a good way to work with us. And a lot of people are interested in lab and I say, start an Accelerator because you need kind of this framework and this foundation. And then you can always move into lab later. I love that. Yeah. I think so many people are really excited about everything that's inside lab and being able to have this like cool mastermind group of people who think and work a lot like you do. But if you don't have that strategic marketing plan in place and some of those other fundamentals, you're not going to get as much out of lab. And so it's not like an exclusion thing, like, oh, you can't be in lab, but it's more like you need to get these things functioning well first, because then you're going to get the most possible out of all the material and the networking and everything that's in lab. So we get lots of questions about our two coaching programs. You can learn more about those on the website. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Maddie Martin from smith.ai and then my conversation with Tom. Hi, I'm Maddie Martin, the head of growth and education at Smith AI Virtual Receptionist and Website Chat. Always good to have you on the podcast. Something we've seen come up a lot and that's becoming increasingly more important is this idea of how do I stay competitive? There's a lot of people in the market, just in legal in general, but also amidst small firms. So what are some of the things that lawyers need to keep in mind with staying competitive today? Well, the hardest thing to compete on, I think, is online search. There is a huge advantage to being well-positioned in online search, but it is arguably one of the hardest things to achieve, especially in your market, depending on how many other firms there are and practice areas in terms of direct competition, it can be one of the slowest and hardest things to outrank your competition. But the way that you can sort of cheat and skip rank is you don't have to be the first rank on Google. You have to be the first and most responsive firm who answers those calls when people are running down that list. And guess what? 64% of law firms never responded to a potential client's outreach and 39% let calls from potential clients go to voicemail, according to the Clio report from last year. So what we know is that, yeah, maybe there are firms that are outranking you, but they're not beating you out for that business because if you respond and they've you know, run down the list, maybe you're at three or four and you pick up the phone, well, that business is yours. That's such a good point. One of our company values here at Lawyerist is find the lever. And I think this is so important because the first place a lot of attorneys look is, okay, how do I get competitive with organic search? Or do I have enough in my budget to 
bid to stay at the top of paid search. And the truth is that that is a really crowded marketplace and it's going to be expensive or time consuming for you to get there. So I love this idea of this competitive analysis. Where are my competitors probably falling short and how can I skip over that and provide a better experience? So what's the first thing you should do if you're realizing that you don't want to pursue that organic or that paid search route? How do you really stand out and capture the reader's attention right away and get them to to reach out to you? That's a, a great question, Laura. So I think, you know, speaking of the lever, one of the levers to really pull on is that, you know, a third of clients say that they feel that urgency to hire a lawyer. So really capture that sense of urgency and know that your phone number is accurate and also tracking those calls that are coming through. So they you can use call tracking software like CallRail, for example, that allows you to pinpoint exactly where those calls are coming through so that you know your efforts are valuable here and that answering the call is actually converting more leads and yielding from this effort that you're putting in. The other thing I'll say is make sure that your business hours are reflective of your answering service and not just your office hours, right? So if you're using Smith AI and we're 24 seven, well, you can show that you're gonna answer that call 24-7, that's also going to stand out in search results. It's something that you can mention if you're doing paid ads in your advertisement, but it will show up on your hours on Google Maps, on that Google listing, and that's a way to sort of skip rank as well. And I will say that, yes, you know, we do advocate for focusing on organic search and paid search if that's within your budget, but the more cost-effective and immediate sort of activity that you can undertake is adding an answering service, which can start, you know, as low as, you know, 10 calls a month. I mean, we have very flexible plans and you're looking at five to seven dollars a call free spam blocking that really allows you to say wow that's not so much money I can afford a hundred bucks I can afford uh, 70 bucks to just be able to have my calls answered and not miss a single call not to mention sort of the bothersome interruptions for your time which is most valuable spent on client work and, and working on your business that makes a lot of sense. And I imagine another hesitation for a lot of attorneys is, well, I don't have it in my budget to have somebody necessarily sitting in my office on call waiting to see if the phone is going to ring because then you're spending their time. They're potentially sitting there doing other things and getting distracted by answering the calls or they're sitting there and there's not yet enough for them to do where it makes sense financially. So that makes a lot of sense to think about which pieces of this onboarding process can you pull away away from you and your office, still make it be a really great client experience as well. So that's awesome. Well, and the, the nice thing is, is that you can also set your parameters. You can say, my leads need to be screened. I only work with certain clients. I only have certain practice areas and convey that to us so that we're only putting people in touch with you who are a good fit for your practice. Otherwise, we're referring them out to firms that you specifically recommend, or we're just taking a message for your review later on if you want to be more involved in sort of reviewing that and how you refer them out and how you handle that. But the most important thing is that you answer every call. We can also make outbound calls. So if you have the messages coming through, maybe emails that are coming through, you can also send them to us for an immediate call back. It depends on the preference. If you have a phone number that is text enabled, if you have people who are visiting your Facebook page, then we can answer those messages as well. So it really comes down to sort of this omni channel responsiveness because right now people who 
are at home, they're juggling work and life and trying to get through these COVID times. You know, people are busier than ever. Maybe they don't call, but they see your number and they try and text you. Maybe it's something discreet and it's a matter they don't want to have overheard while they're on a call. We can handle all of those conversations. I love it. You can get it personalized for your law firm and what you need and still deliver that awesome client experience. You can chat with Smith AI live on their website as well as get a free trial. And for being a lawyerist, insider, and podcast listener, you can get $100 off your first month as a new client or $10 off a month for existing customers. So check out smith.ai. My name is Tom Cheeseright. I'm an applied futurist uh, based here in the UK, but spending a reasonable amount of time over there. And uh, I work with big companies around the world and bits of government to really answer three questions. What does our future look like? How do we tell that story? And what on earth do we do about it? I love it. And what an interesting job description, applied futurist. It's just, it, it it's so interesting. I have to imagine that sparks a lot of great conversations, just saying that and having people go, okay, well, what does that really mean? So I'm really excited to chat with you about your work. What kind of got you into being an applied futurist? Um, well, you can trace this back a long way, back to 1981 at a book fair uh, in a corner of West London where we were living at the time. Uh, and my mum bought me the Usborne Book of the Future, uh, a guide to life in the year 2000 and beyond. Uh, and it's still with me now. It's just slightly out of arm's reach on my right hand side on my bookshelf. Uh, it's very tattered and battered now. Um, but it talks about things like solar panels on your roof and self-driving electric cars and your wristwatch mounted little computers all these things that we now have and to little three-year-old me that was incredibly exciting and I've kind of been obsessed with the possibilities of the future since and I guess since, since then what's changed in many ways is that I've gone from being obsessed with the mechanics of the mechanics if you like with the technology that might change the world to really how that changes our lives how it changes our culture how it changes our organizations and the way we do business and in many ways the sort of the mechanics of people rather than just the technology wonderful can you talk a little bit about some of the general trends that you think are sort of coming down the pike in the next several years sort of across different industries so I look at five primarily. My, my big argument, despite moving away somewhat from the technology, is that one of the big things technology has done, particularly in business, is it's just taken away friction. Like so many of the things that used to be difficult and manual and arduous just aren't anymore. And most of us are now equipped with technology to some extent or that augments our capabilities. And we're all, we're all cyborgs now. We have to get over this fact. We may not have robot arms and things, but we can all do more than we could before because of technology. And that does really interesting things to business. It introduces this phenomenon of high frequency change that I wrote about in my first book, where all of a sudden industries go through this rapid wave of change. Disruption appears on the near horizon. And within just a couple of years, they're turned upon their head. It introduces incredible choice as well. There are so many more options in front of us now as consumers and buyers of business services that we almost struggle to keep up with the variety of options. And you know, I think that's one that I'm really obsessed by at the moment, how this sort of lowering of friction is presented with this, us with incredible choices and what we might do about it in terms of how we navigate what's false and what's true, what's good and what's not. And even just, you know, what to watch on Netflix that evening. And I guess the last one, the, the, one of the really interesting ones that were the sort of the big sort of five trends that I checked, I call them change, choice, power, speed and shape. 
power is that augmentation speed is our expectation of everything coming faster is this shape phenomenon where actually this lowering of friction in our communications has changed the shape of our organizations and where before to get things done to get growth to get real sort of you know large-scale profit we used to want to get bigger and bigger and bigger and build these ginormous integrated organizations these giant monoliths today our successful organizations tend to be much much smaller and work as a network collaborating between lots and lots of different organizations to meet the same goals and if you look at the big organizations of today the beer moths of today they're a fraction of the size that their equivalents were 50 years ago I think one of the things that really jumped out to me in your most recent book, Future Proof Your Business, is this idea that a lot of business has shifted towards looking to the immediate success. So what are the immediate ways that somebody can change things and you know go back to the board of directors or show that when they've been installed as CEO that they've driven some immediate success, but you're actually advocating for doing more planning. I know you have some specific recommendations around setting aside time to plan and specifically look into the future as a business owner. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a trend I've seen across businesses, small and large, in that, you know, we used to focus so heavily on on what I call optimization. How can I do better tomorrow what I did yesterday? Where better generally means for more profit. And more and more organizations and leaders I talk to now are saying, you know what, we recognize that what the world wants tomorrow may be completely different. So we need to devote more of our time to thinking about what that might be. So what business is going to look like, what, you know, the legal industry is going to look like in two years time because it could be something completely different and what I advocate for is spending one percent of your time thinking about the future in a structured way it's roughly one day every six months you know one percent doesn't sound like an awful lot but when you start to convince executives to carve out one day every six months from their diary they suddenly find that they really struggle it suddenly seems like an enormous amount of time to be step out of the day-to-day and to think about what's next but I don't think you can underestimate the importance of it right now particularly in those industries, and I think the legal industry is one of them, that are going through or facing at least such enormous potential disruption in the next few years. What do you recommend that a leader be looking at during those days that they're pulling out of their calendar? Is there sort of a specific process or places that they should be looking to intake the right information to drive their decisions? Yeah, so when I'm looking at the near future, I use this process called intersections that I developed a few years ago. And it's really, really simple. Well, the first thing you have to say to yourself is what causes me pain today? What stops my organization being as good as it could be? What frustrates me when I'm at work? What frustrates the people around me? What frustrates my customers and my clients? What frustrates the people who supply me? And you get this sort of sense of blockages and barricades and obstacles that are slowing things down, causing you friction, you know, cutting back your fees, whatever it may be, you know, making people less happy at work. You get this, this sense of, of, of what's in the way. And I call these the pressure points. And you take your pressure points and you then say, all right, what are the big trends coming in? And I list five in the book, this change, choice, power, speed and shape. But actually just by looking at, you know, Wired magazine or looking at what the latest things Google's doing or you know, watching a few TED talks, you start to get an impression of what the big changing other industries, parallel industries might be. What's happening in the accounting industry right now? What are the big trends that are affecting them? What happens if they come to me? And you end up with these two lists, these lists of pressure points, the the pain points you're already feeling, and these lists of these big trends, things you can see coming. Okay, you know, automation. We can see that we could automate some of our work in the next few years. Where those two things collide, where those trends coming in collide with those pressure points you're already feeling, 
that's where the biggest changes are going to come. That's where competition is going to come and attack you. That's where your existing competitors might steal a march or new competitors may be able to come in. These are the big opportunities as well. These are the things that you could transform and do better and create a competitive edge. Once you've done this process a few times, it becomes sort of second nature and easily half a day probably. You can sit down, scan the papers, read a few regular news sources, you know, talk to your customers, have a chat with the customer, have a chat with a few of your staff and pull together this list of where these big macro trends are going to bump into those pressures that you're already feeling. And apart from anything else, it's just really cathartic. People love getting off their chest what's frustrating them that day. And it turns out quite often to be very useful. Very powerful in thinking about the fact that so many leaders are overwhelmed by all of the information that they receive on a daily basis. And that's probably some of the resistance to doing more of this you know, threat and horizon scanning on a more regular basis than once every six months, because it almost feels overwhelming to pull together all that information and to set up the meetings with your staff. But doing this in a regular cadence kind of condenses it down to that one day where you can do a really deep dive and be focused on that. So the future of jobs is such an important topic, and there's no doubt that it comes up a lot in the legal industry. You know, many of the attorneys that work with us at Lawyerist, you know, we kind of joke about the fear of being replaced by robots as lawyers, you know, and it's mentioned in our book as well. Um, do you have any predictions for kind of what are some of the things on the horizon for the legal industry where attorneys need to be mindful of what's coming? The critical thing for all professional services to recognize the difference between robots taking jobs and robots taking work. Human beings remain uniquely adaptable, flexible. And you know there is no robot out there or AI out there that can take 100% of a human's job because we all do lots of different things. What they can do is they can take work that we offload to them, allowing fewer people to do more with less. And in the legal industry particularly, this starts to look really interesting because the jobs that get offloaded tend to be the junior jobs. You know, If you look at you know, a lot of law firms, you've got relatively junior people doing quite administrative work, maybe that requires some high level thinking, but fundamentally quite administrative work a lot of the time. And it's those jobs that are the most easy to replace. Well, not necessarily replace, but cut down the number of human beings and increase the number of robots doing that work. When you do that, you change the shape of your organization. And people like Boston Consulting Group have pointed this idea of, you know, the, the rocket ship where effectively you have a sort of tube down the middle of, of human beings and then these wing-shaped triangles on the outside of robots you know, replacing your traditional pyramid. I think actually we potentially go even further than that, where we end up with this sort of inverted pyramid of people inside an organization. So you have a very small number of people at the bottom basically managing the robots and helping the robots to churn through the more administrative work, rising to actually a larger number of people in the more senior roles that are about relationships, because you know, people are still going to want the arm around the shoulder. They want the human advice. They want the empathy. They want that sense that somebody's taken the time to consult with them and understand them. The question becomes, though, Okay, we can have a really attractive looking organization for five years, maybe, where we have a very low cost base, lots of robots doing automation and some, you know, a great selection of senior sort of partners doing the relationship side of things. But where do the next generation come from? 
You know, if we're replacing large swathes of our junior staff with machines, what happens to our succession planning? What happens to our training and development? Uh, and we really don't have a good answer for this yet. You know, where, how do people build up these skills of consultation and the knowledge uh, and the relationship skills if they're not doing those sort of early days of groundwork, building up the track record? And that, that's really a question that's still to be answered. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll be discussing the three C's you need to be mindful of. Looking for a true alternative to LexisNexis or Westlaw? You could save thousands this year if you switched to Case Text. Over 6,000 law firms from solos to 40% of the AM Law 100 use Case Text to help them find better results in less time and for less money. For $65 per month, you'll get access to 50 state and federal case law, statutes, and more with zero out-of-plan fees. Try the Smarter Legal Research platform. Lawyerist podcast listeners can go to casetext.com slash lawyerist to try Case Text for free for two weeks. Supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander. Your team can do more with the same resources. Less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency will have your team feeling like they've hopped off a bicycle and into a Ferrari. Keep the team consistent, accurate, and current so you can work faster and smarter with Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Create powerful snippets to save you time so that all you type is a short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest for you. Keep your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Lawyerist podcast listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com podcast to learn more. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebettys.com slash lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use the promo code PODCAST to receive $150 off your first month. And we're back. So another thing that jumped out at me from your work is this idea of where leaders and where employees should have their focus on improving skills and enhancing themselves as curation, creativity, and communication. Can you talk a little bit about why those are so important right now? Yeah, absolutely. So it comes back to this idea of sort of adaptability. How do you make yourself more adaptable, more resilient, more capable of dealing with this this age of uncertainty? And I did a, a research project a few years ago where we looked at the future of education and I spoke to loads of employers and educators. And we came up with this list of the three C's. And originally there were things we thought that young people needed to develop for a successful career in the future. And over time, talking to people, what I've realized, actually, these are skills that all of us need to build, all of us need to develop right now. And the first one, the, the first C of the three C's, if you like, is curation, which is really my shorthand for the ability to discover and qualify information. You need great research skills, not least to recognize the gaps in your own knowledge, your own understanding. And if you can build that ability to, to find the gaps in your own knowledge, to fill those gaps, to develop your skills, and particularly to differentiate false from true, incredibly important right now, that sets you in really good stead for so being able to get to grips with change. 
the second thing you need is, is creativity. And we have this terrible sense that creatives are a particular class of people. They're the ones who can draw and paint or make music. Whereas actually, you know, creativity is just a muscle. It's one we all use in all our careers, particularly the law, where we're finding new solutions to problems. And we're doing it by trying things, failing and learning from those mistakes. And you have to develop those, the, the sort of the confidence to test things out, to put things out there, the skills to recognize why they didn't work and learn from them first time around. Around and be confident enough to iterate and try things over and over again. And then the third thing you need is communication. You can't do either of the first two unless you can listen well and understand the needs and what's going on around you. And you certainly can't do it if you can't sell the ideas you've created. And we need this ability to communicate what we've done, to communicate our own successes, particularly because we're increasingly working in smaller organizations where more of us are at the edge and responsible for promoting our own successes to our colleagues internally, but also to those outside our organizations like customers and prospects. So that's the three C's. You need to discover and qualify information or curate. You've got to be able to synthesize something new and create value. You've got to be able to create uh, and you've got to be able to communicate that value. So three C's, curate, create, communicate. Do you ever find that in the process of curating the information, there's pushback, sort of your expertise blinds you to being able to see the future, the kind of response of, well, that might work for other people in the business world, or that might work for that industry, but it definitely won't work here. Can you recommend some ways to kind of get around that line of thinking? <laughs> I hear that all the time, Laura. It's one of the most common things I go when I go into organizations is, oh, you know, this industry is different. That won't work here. Our customers don't want that. And you know, my favorite tip for people, it's a bit involved, but I try and get executives to start a new hobby. Because if you, if you step out of the environment that you've been in for 20, 30 or 40 years, the environment where you are the leader, where you are the expert and go and do something completely new, it is instantly humbling. And not only is it humbling, not only does it remind you that you don't know everything and there is a world that you don't understand, but actually it, it kickstarts those three C's. You're immediately discovering and qualifying. You're immediately trying things out and learning from your mistakes. You're immediately communicating with a completely new group of people. And you don't have to take it to quite the extremes that I did and learn to roller skate at the age of 40. You know, I, I did the proper mistakes. I broke some ribs. But it's utterly humbling watching yourself get lapped by a six-year-old who's going backwards. Um, and it certainly sort of awakens that desire to learn and do better and reminds you that, do you know what, however much you think you know about your industry, however fixed your ideas are about it, there are domains and potentially adjacent domains that are directly relevant to you about which you know very little. That's a great approach to something that I had to imagine would come up all the time. I know we definitely see that sometimes in the legal industry. Well, that just won't work here. That's not the way we do things. So it's a good way to think about it in a different approach. One of the other things I want to touch on is this idea of separating processes from people. Can you explain what that means and why that's so important? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm an engineer by training. So I, I've historically tended to take a fairly sort of mechanical approach to solving these problems. How do we make an organization more flexible or adaptable? We change its structure. And you know, one of the things you, you start to realize after a while is you go into these organizations that look like they're ticking over. They look like things are going really well, that things are going really smoothly. They're very successful. They've had years of growth. And then you, you get under the hood of these organizations and you realize that that's only happened because great people are effectively working overtime day in, day out to keep things moving, to keep things ticking over. 
And you realize that the whole organization is basically a house of cards built on the back of some very stressed people. Uh, and if one of those people leaves through ill health or to go to another job, suddenly the whole thing comes crashing down. And, I, and I've seen this you know, explicitly. You know, one early client of mine, they'd had eight years of consecutive growth. The board were praising them. Things were going fantastically. And actually, it wasn't one of their staff who left. It was one of their biggest customers who turned around and said, we're leaving. A, they had no idea idea why and b once you started to dig into the organization you realize that all of the information all of the structure was held in people's heads and if any one of those people left if any one of those people had to deal with any change they had to readjust their whole sort of mental way of doing things very little was documented it's not that you don't want great people in your organization you obviously do but what you want is great people exercising their greatness to make your organization better, not just to overcome the massive gaps that so many organizations have in their basic processes. The legal environment is a particularly good example of this, where we so frequently have great people doing basically administrative drudgery when they could be adding so much more value to the organization. I love this whole idea. This is a great concept that's going to help break down the way that you think about how you set processes up in your business, how you think about the people that are kind of fulfilling those roles on the accountability chart. Another thing that I think is really important to discuss is with the pace of technology being so fast right now and the need to be looking towards the future and adapting relatively quickly, one of those sort of stalemates or gridlock places is decision-making. So do you have recommendations for how leaders and companies can accelerate their decision-making ability? Yeah, absolutely. And there's really two approaches to this. The, the traditional approach is to leave the decision-making power where it is, which is typically at the top or the center, and just get better information to those people to enable them to make better decisions faster. So smooth the path of the information flow through the organization. You know, what one ex-Gartner analyst calls, you know, build a hyper organization by using technology and better processes to give instead of people you know random data points give them charts get it to them quicker uh, and equip people with with that information to take better decisions but for me a much better way of accelerating decision making is to share the decision making burden to push the decision making power out to the edge of the organization and if you do this and if you equip people with the right skills, with the right attitude, with the right culture, and give people the bounds within which they can safely make decisions. You shift so much load off those in senior management that it gives them the, the thinking space to do this thinking about the future, to do that more strategic thought, rather than signing off, you know, another credit limit or whatever it may be for somebody, you're signing off another purchase. Do you know what? Push that decision-making ability out and let people take the decisions. And the result is is that you take decisions much faster. It, you can respond incredibly quickly if you do that. Uh, you allow people to develop much faster, so your junior members of staff gain confidence, gain capability much more quickly, uh, and you as the senior person running the organisation have much more sort of mental space to make the more important uh, decisions. You know, one of my favorite examples of this is, is from one of the super, a German supermarket here in the UK. It's a little, it's a discounter called Lidl, I don't really think what the equivalent would be there. And uh, you, about, it's Easter 2015. They just rolled out a range of, of One Direction Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I forgive me for anybody who's a One Direction fan and this story is triggering for them. But you know, just after they'd rolled out this line of Easter eggs, Zayn left the band. 
And then this information came into Lidl, an incredibly distributed organization, which really has you know, pushed power to the edges. The information came in through their social media manager who spotted it on Twitter. Uh, and he, he turned with tears in his eyes to the merchandising manager and said, look, you know, just seen this news. What are we going to do? We just rolled out these one direction Easter eggs. And, you know, she's very clear headed and she thinks about this for a second. And she says, well, look, one fifth of the band's gone. Let's knock one fifth of the price off. <laughs> and he says, great, I can I can work with that. And he gets this tweet out, which captures the heart of One Direction fans weeping up and down the country. And they flood into stores and buy up these Easter eggs. And it creates some really great brand equity for Lidl in the process. And what's incredible about this, this story is that the two members of staff who made these decisions were in their sort of early to mid-20s. They were very junior members of staff. But they've been given the training and the responsibility um, to do this. And what's also incredible is that they made this decision in 20 minutes. 20 minutes to make a huge financial decision about this merchandising, this incredibly important product for them, share that information out across stores, share that information on social media. Uh, and I actually met one of the uh, non-executive directors of, a, of one of the much bigger supermarket chains here in the UK not long afterwards and told her this story. And she told me it would have taken them three days to make that decision. <laughs> you know, and that's the difference. And it's why you know, Lidl here is one of the fastest growing businesses here in the UK, one of the fastest growing supermarkets is because they've got that ability to respond to what's going on incredibly fast. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure around when you ascend to these higher level roles, you feel that pressure to make all of the decisions and you take on that decision fatigue and the processes slow down so much. And it's important to remember that you don't have to make every single one of those decisions and you're better equipping your firm from even a contingency planning perspective to help other people see that they can be involved in that and kind of speed up the process as well. We've only touched on a couple of the concepts from your book, which we will link in the show notes, but there's so much more good information in there. This is also a great chance to plug our book, The Small Firm Roadmap, if you haven't read that yet about some of our predictions for the future of law and what attorneys need to do to be adaptable and savvy in this environment. Thanks, Tom, so much for the opportunity to speak with you and hear more about what you see as the future. Thank you, Laura. The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Christopher Ng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.